So um, I'm the warm-up act, and uh, in a bit you'll get to hear from Beck. And uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, it'd be great if you could turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, just going to move these microphones because they annoy me. <laughs> wow, this is going to be easy today if that gets an amen. <laughs> um, so this is the third in a series of four, uh, Building God's House. And uh, we, the, this challenge of building God's house flows out to the prophetic emphasis that we heard about a couple of weeks ago from Haggai chapter 1. And uh, which says, why are you building your own panelled houses while neglecting the house of the Lord? And so that was the kind of prophetic emphasis that Rob brought to us a couple of weeks ago. And then last week we looked at the issue of this house needs leaders. And really, the challenge is being laid down for us as a church. Are we ready to commit to building God's house? That's it. That's the challenge. You see, when Haggai prophesied, it was about the temple. But now it's about the people of God. So when there's a call to build God's house, it's about building his church. This group of people that God now dwells inside, each individual member of whom is a living stone that together builds this living temple. That's what God's house looks like. And so that's the call for us. And today we're going to look a bit more at what that looks like in family context. So as a church family, what does it mean to commit to building God's house? And we've called the talk Multiplying Pastors. And I'm going to read a couple of verses from Ephesians 4 to get us started. Ephesians 4 verses 11 through 13. And he, that is the ascended, risen Christ. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the works of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. There's about 17 series worth of sermons in those three verses, but we're going to, in half an hour, look at some of uh, what God's laid on our hearts for this morning. There are five gifts listed here. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Quibble about four or five with me over coffee after there's five, okay? There's five words there. There's five gifts. And we're very familiar with the idea of spiritual gifts. Prophecy, healing, speaking in tongues, that kind of thing. And in passages like 1 Corinthians 12, where they're described, that is God, by his Holy Spirit, pouring out or giving gifts, spiritual gifts to individuals in the church for the maturing of the church. For the benefit of all. Here in Ephesians 4, it's slightly different emphasis. Because here, the gifts that he gives are the people themselves. And he gave some as apostles. 
and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors, and some as teachers. He gives the person as the gift. He gives the people as the gifts. Not to some he gave the gift of apostleship, or to some he gave prophetic gifting. It's he gave some as apostles and as prophets. So when we talk about these gifts, and in particular today the gift of pastors, we're talking about people who are the gift. And the church needs these gifts. In fact, these gifts are so crucial to the health and strength of the church that it's no overstatement to say that God has put all of his son's eggs in one basket of the church. Because ultimately, the church is the bride of Christ. And so if this doesn't work, then Jesus gets no bride. That's not going to happen, by the way. But this is important. The strength, health, purity and maturity of the church is a crucial issue. Why? Because God's plan is the church and there isn't a plan B. So all the resources, therefore, of heaven are poured out by God for the church. And five of those gifts are these five groups of people here. If the church is to fulfill her potential, if the church is to be healthy, if the church is to genuinely display the glory of God, then we need a multitude of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Turn to the person next to you and say, we need more of these five. Okay, good. So, these five, these five gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, what do they look like? Well, very, very briefly, apostles, these are the groundbreakers. These are the the pioneers. These are the ones who want to be on the move. These are the ones who start new things, the ones who think strategically, the one who are able to put in place structures that are big for the church to grow into. Financial structures, governance structures, doctrinal structures, theological structures. Apostles just mean sent ones. These people are sent by God to the church for the church for his glory. Prophets, these are the seers and the hearers. You love to have these around. These are the ones who say, so what's God saying? And what are you going to do about it? It's the prophets who remind us that God is a speaking God. The one who challenges and calls us to a greater reality of knowing God. What prophets do. Evangelists. (laughs) These are the proclaimers. The gatherers. The one who go out and about and bring in the broken. The lost. They ever carry a passion for for the lost. For the people, for the, for the nobodies, for the ones who don't know Jesus. The evangelists are the ones who create a mess in the church. Because they bring in the broken and the battered and the bruised. And say, there we go, I've got them through the door. Now we're going to, with God's help, sort them out. That's what evangelists do. If you've got a nice tidy church, you need some evangelists. 
teachers, or these are the people who cannot be moved from God's word, rooted on the truth. Their passion is to see people grow in their love for God. And teachers will appeal to the mind and to the heart. They will unpack scripture for you and show you things by the spirit that you've never seen before. Because they're utterly convinced about the authority and power of God's unchanging word. And teachers train the church to articulate and defend the timeless truths of God. And pastors, we're going to look at this more today. But these are the people who provide nurture and safety. They're the protectors. They're the carers. They're the shepherds. And for a healthy church, you need all five of those. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. And as you see on the screen there, what Paul does is when he he introduces these people as gifts, and then he says that they're there for a few things. One is equipping for service of the saints. He basically, these gifts equip the church to go and do stuff. And they're there for the building up of the church. Building up of the body is the phrase, this body of Christ, for unity and for maturity. These five gifts equip others so they can go and serve. These five gifts raise up more of those five gifts. And so this is the plan. Multiplication and equipping of others. That's what the five gifts are about. These are not gifts to make you feel better and more comfortable. These are gifts which challenge you to pursue God, to enlarge your view of God, to become dissatisfied with where you're at and want more of his glory. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers will not say to you, well done, you're sorted, put your feet up. They'll say to you, well done, now go for more. And with these gifts, we become equipped to serve. Our vision becomes larger and greater. And we're ready to go. And Beck's going to come and talk to us now about what the gift of pastor looks like. Feel free to welcome her while we just... Okay, so um, I'm going to speak to you a little bit this morning about the pastoral gift. Um, and, yeah, thinking, we've been thinking quite a lot about this over the last few months and wonder whether the pastoral gift is sometimes underestimated, maybe even looked down upon. Maybe when we think of pastors, we think of the traditional vicar role or maybe just showing support to someone upset or in need. Maybe the pastoral gift is just seen as being nice, tea and sympathy. I've got that bit from PJ. All right. Um, maybe this gift of pastoring is assumed it's happening. Uh, maybe it just doesn't sound very exciting. It's not as dramatic, is it, as prophecy or apostle? And I've been in church my whole life, but I don't think I've often heard it preached about. I don't think pastoring is given that much airtime. I think maybe it's assumed it's just going on. So I want to take a few minutes to paint a different picture for you, hopefully a more biblical picture based on that passage in Ephesians 4. And this passage tells us that amongst other important gifts, Jesus has given some as pastors, 
for the equipping of the saints for works of service and the building up of the body of Christ. We really need pastors at Jubilee if we're going to be equipped for service and built up as the body of Christ. Although the pastor may often act quietly, with gentleness, showing empathy, caring for people behind the scenes, pastoring people isn't weak or insignificant. It's bolder, stronger, more tenacious and more robust than the traditional image conveys. It really takes courage and it takes commitment. You can put the next slide up, actually, yeah. Um, Pastoring people is the backbone of the church as the church advances. It's about strength. It's about helping people find strength in God. It's about people knowing who they are and growing into all that they're called in Christ to be. Pastoring people is about growing disciples, followers of God who are increasingly dependent on him, who look more like him, who act more like him. Don't we want to develop Christ-like character? And this takes time. Disciples are dependent on God, who trust him even when they don't understand. And although we're interdependent one on another as family together, we're never seeking to make people dependent on us. Growing disciples takes time and it's supernatural work. As Simon said, as Jubilee, if it's going to grow strong and not leave people behind as we advance, we need to excel in pastoring people really well. We want to raise up disciples and equip people for running the race to the very end, not quitting partway through. I'm sure we all know people who were running the race with us and who got distracted or they got hurt or they got disillusioned and they gave up. I've been really challenged by this. Is it our mindset to run the race to the end, whatever curveballs life throws at us, to keep our hearts and our minds fixed upon Jesus and helping one another to do the same. Eugene Peterson developed this idea in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And that phrase originally comes from Frederick Nietzsche, of all people. He placed a different emphasis on its meaning, but that idea of a really long obedience uh, in the same direction, or obedience for the long haul, is an important aspect of discipleship. Hebrews 12, verse 1, urges us, run the race that is before us, And don't give up. We want to finish this race and we want to finish spiritually strong. This isn't one of those projects we start and give up on, like the back room you started decorating and you never completed. I think we've got to go against the grain here. This is quite countercultural. We live in a world that wants quick results or isn't really willing to commit, but chops and changes when ideas or ideals don't suit or relationships get difficult. But the Christian life is a lifetime of obedience, and it's really not a sprint. Pastoral care of one another will keep us strong if we flag, lift our spirits when they dip, and help us continue to run. I've been thinking about the Psalms. And Psalms 120 to 134 are known as the Songs of Ascent. These are songs that the Hebrew pilgrims sang as they went up to Jerusalem for feasts and festivals. Whole families travelled together. They went three times a year and it was pretty much uphill to Jerusalem from any direction. So it really wasn't a sprint. And these songs kept their spirits up. They strengthened them on the journey as they remembered who they were and where they were going. Psalm 121 famously says, I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. 
Aren't we on a similar journey of faith, growing in maturity, but sometimes growing weary? We need people to come alongside and lift our spirits. We need people to speak or maybe even sing life-giving words over us, like the psalmist in those, uh, those collection of psalms who says, The Lord is your keeper, the shade of your right hand. You might not consider yourself very pastoral, or you might have your eyes locked on the mountain in front of you. But do you know, pastoring people is mostly about encouragement. You have encouragement you can give others. You have encouragement that will lift someone's spirits and strengthen them. You can help people keep running and keep climbing. And you know, the view is better the further up you go. So let me ask you, when you get together with others from the church, do you speak encouragement over one another? Do you help each other look beyond the mountain you're facing to the creator of heaven and earth? Because following God for the long haul takes courage and commitment. Don't we want to follow God for the long haul? That's our heart, isn't it? But sometimes life seems to get in the way. But you know, the good news is that pastoring is rooted in the ordinary Pastoral care deals with life, often the ordinary but sometimes painful aspects of life. Injury, sickness, bereavement, getting distracted, getting into sin and getting stuck. It deals with relationship issues and relational challenges, disappointments, hurts and betrayals. Aren't these the sorts of issues that any of us could be affected by? The pastor meets people where they're at, whether it's their fault they're in a mess or tragedy has hit. Sometimes we will all need a friend to come alongside. Do you know, Jesus is our example here. He brought encouragement. He made time for people, even the most unlovely, and he calls us to do the same. Perhaps think of a time where someone has stopped for you, dropped what they're doing so they could talk to you. Talking to my dad once, he once wisely told me that the best managers in the workplace were those who stopped what they were doing to listen, who made time for you when they were busy, listened to you like nothing and no one else mattered in that moment. That's an approach I've tried to live by at work, but sometimes that's hard, isn't it? Because meeting people where they're at is where the challenge lies. It takes all of us to do it. We're all called to the equipping of the saints for works of service and the building up of the body of Christ. We're not about a one-man ministry or a small elite group of pastors. We want to excel at one-anothering. It's tempting, isn't it, to withdraw sometimes when life gets tough, or to hide away and not let people see our pain. I think this is my default reaction, to withdraw a bit and be independent. Because one-anothering takes courage. It takes courage to pass to someone else and it takes courage to ask for help. But this is part of being family and it's part of being authentic. It's vulnerable. It can make us feel exposed. There is a risk of getting hurt or being misunderstood. But it's really important not to disconnect. Because, you know, there's no hierarchy of pastoring. One anothering is a job for all of us. So I've got some questions for you. Do you know what's going on in the life of your Jubilee family, maybe your life group? Do they know what's going on in your life? When was the last time you were really honest with someone or asked for support? You don't always have to be brave. Being authentic feels vulnerable. When was the last time you asked for help? 
or who would be encouraged by an hour of your time? Maybe have a subtle look around the room now. All right. Or think about the people in your life group. Being family is costly. We need one another. But I'm convinced there's someone here who would love an hour with you this week. As we pass to one another through ordinary life, we must prioritise our relationships. As part of our culture of honour, we want to guard our relationships with one another. Issues will definitely arise. We're all human. We're prone to mistakes and we're prone to misunderstandings. Maybe like me, you can be oversensitive to people's reactions, their tone of voice or their body language. And we've got to be careful to guard our hearts and believe the best in others. But dwelling in unity doesn't mean uniformity. We're not all the same, are we? We have different personalities, different giftings, different interests, different styles. And that's fantastic. We want to bring out the best in one another. But if we're honest, that sometimes brings challenges in relationships. Don't we want to work hard to preserve healthy relationships? So I'm going to ask you another question. Is there a relational issue in the church that you need to address? You probably don't need to think for long if there is. That person jumped to your mind. It might take courage, but it's important as far as it depends on you to try and sort that out or ask for help if you're stuck. Jubilee Church has worked hard to establish a culture of honour and we want to preserve this as we grow. But the pastoral gift isn't just rooted in the ordinary to keep people in the ordinary. The pastoral gift takes a different dimension again. Pastoring and discipling one another brings freedom. Pastoring others is to move them on and not let them stay stuck. Freedom comes when we understand what really happened when we became a Christian, when our minds are renewed in Christ and issues are dealt with. Tools like the Freedom in Christ course can really help us as we make disciples. It teaches us who we are in Christ and helps us understand our identity. Perhaps prayerfully consider whether our next Freedom in Christ course would help you with this. Because freedom transforms situations. It turns lives around. It breaks vicious cycles and it offers hope. We carry life-giving words when we pray for people in Jesus' name. Darkness, sickness and despair must flee. And sometimes people need help to get free. So we want to raise up pastors who realise their freedom in God and become all that God has called them to be. We want to see people thrive, don't we? Move on and grow. And here we have the best example, Jesus again. He brought freedom. He brought freedom for the woman at the well and he offered her life-giving words that transformed her situation, met her need and brought hope. Pastor and prophet combined. Jesus brought freedom, physical and spiritual freedom, like the woman in Luke 13. And it says that a woman was there who'd been crippled for a, by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over. She couldn't straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Jesus set her free. She straightened up and praised God. Her life was changed. That sounds like the sort of pastoring I want to be involved with. How about you? Nevertheless, there'll be times when we see someone who needs help, someone who's got stuck and we don't have the green light to help them yet. You know, the Holy Spirit is the best pastor. He's the wonderful counsellor and we need to wait for his timing. 
We might call this the art of responsible neglect, waiting, praying until the Holy Spirit prompts and gives us the green light. People aren't always ready to find freedom, but God knows when and he knows where and he knows how. Our prayers are powerful and our care of them while we wait is important. But we're making disciples and disciples choose to follow Jesus. He doesn't coerce people into following him and neither should we. And this isn't in my notes, but in the worship today, I felt that um, the Holy Spirit as the wonderful counsellor was really here present. And that there's some people who need to know the wonderful counsellor. And I felt, yeah, I just felt like his presence was there to be that this morning. If that's you, know that he's very, very close. And finally, as we think about pastoring people at Jubilee, let's keep our minds on what we're here to do. We're here to worship, build the church and make disciples And that means we have a mission outside of these four walls. Our mission is to go. It's easy, isn't it, to look down or to look inward when we're having a hard time, but we want to look up. Our perspective changes when we look up, when we fix our eyes on Jesus and stay connected to him. Remember what we said, the view is better further up. And we want to look out, to be the good news to those who don't know Jesus, to multiply disciples So if we look in at times, it's to get healed up, it's to develop our character, to become more like him, and it's to be equipped to go. So let me leave you with the challenge of pastoring Jubilee well, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, one anothering well, and intentionally encouraging the people around us. Let's equip one another for works of service and build up the body of Christ. Wow. We need pastors like that, don't we? (laughs) So should we close? (laughs) Beck described pastors as courageous, Holy Spirit-led people rooted in the ordinary stuff of life and out of that bring freedom to people. That's a pastor. I don't know when you woke up this morning whether that's what you thought pastors looked like. That's what the Bible describes them as. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes this about Timothy in verses 20 and 21. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his, Timothy's, proven worth. I love that phrase, genuinely concerned for your welfare. That's the essence of what pastoring looks like. A person who is as Beck described and is genuinely concerned about others' welfare. And it's courageous and it's spirit-led. It's got to be spirit-led. And it's that power that then brings people through to be equipped for works of service and for the building up of the body for unity and maturity. And I think, though, that there's a real danger for us, actually. I think that we can read about these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. And we can believe that they refer to a few specially gifted people. 
your kind of book writers or your conference speakers or your national prophets or your movement leaders, whatever it might be. And it's true that there are people like that who have a big gift. And we need that. The church needs that. They're a gift. They're a big gift and we need big gifts. We like big gifts, don't we? Think Christmas. And we need people who carry a large anointing, who have a big capacity, who've, whose gift has matured over the years. We need that. We need them. How do you think they started off? Too often we reduce these Ephesians 4 gifts to a small group of elite people that we can only stand back and admire. I don't think that that's what Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus about. I think he was talking about a multiplication of these gifts right across the church. And so the danger is that we discount ourselves. And so my challenge is that as you listen to the rest of what we're going to say, that you don't discount yourself. You think, actually, that could be me. And in fact, what I'm going to say is, this has to be you if you're going to obey the Bible. But we'll get to there in a minute. Let me ask you a question. What do you think is going on in kids' work right now? Anyone with any responsibility in kids' work is going, I hope it's all right, as he heard something. It's fine. In Blaze, so these are our aged five to seven children, today they're looking at the biblical theme of hope. Hope. If they haven't got a teacher in that room, those kids are not really going to grasp what hope is all about in a biblical context. We've got teachers out there operating in their gifting. We've got apostles out there calling out destiny in our children, getting them to see the big picture of what God has for their lives. We've got prophets who are speaking into their lives, prophetic promises, saying this is what God has in store for you. We've got evangelists who week after week after week lay out again the truth of the gospel and challenge children to respond to that. We've got teachers who unpack God's truth and we've got pastors who nurture and care for our kids in whatever situations they're involved in in the week. That's what's going on out there. There's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers at work. And so if we're to see a healthy and equipped and built up and mature church, We need to see a multiplication of these five gifts right across the church. And so we need to see pastors released. And that's really what our heart is today. And so it begs the question, Okay, then you've talked about it all. How are we going to release pastors right across the church? Well, here's the plan. We're going to do what the New Testament says. So in the New Testament, it says to one another. There's this phrase, one another. Crops up again and again and again. Can anyone think of any things that we're told to one another? Love, well done. Love is the most common one, so well done. Forgive. Encourage. Admonish. Yeah. Esteem. Confess to, yeah. 
honor, forgive. Yeah. Okay, here's a, here's a selection that I've put up on the screen. In Jubilee colours. That took me ages. Please admire it. <laughs> Quite a variety. Yeah, there's a few sniggers about the wash. Yeah. It's in the Bible. It says, wash one another's feet. It's in the context of Jesus um, at the Last Supper. Um, but I put it on there just to see if you'd read it. And the greet, often it's with holy kisses. Feel free. Um, so that's not all of them, okay? But that's a lot of them. There's 20 different things up there. What would Jubilee Church look like if all of us did all of them all the time? I'll tell you what we'd look like. We'd look like the amazing Bride of Christ. That's what we'd look like. If you were loved, if you were encouraged, if you were built up, if you were admonished, if you were accepted and forgiven and all of these other things, won't you begin to look a bit more like Jesus? And won't the person and people who are doing that to you, loving you, serving you, etc., look a bit more like Jesus as well? This is all about us being family as a church, being brothers and sisters. And in a healthy family, you look out for one another. I've got three younger brothers. And uh, when I was in primary school, the next brother down from me, who's called Martin, um, he was being picked on by a boy from a, another school, a neighbouring school. Highly sensible to have two different schools on the same site that then became rivals, etc. Anyway, he was being picked on. So as his older brother, I thought, I'm going to walk to school with him. I'm going to look out for him, protect him. And given my physique, <laughs> we ended up, both of us being picked on. <laughs> Which wasn't quite the intention, but I wanted to be with him. That was my job as a brother, to kind of help him, support him. Even though it went pear-shaped, it didn't really matter. Well, it did, but it didn't. Because actually, brothers and sisters look out for brothers and sisters. That's what part of being a family is, no matter if you end up getting picked on as well. And I wonder whether some of these one another phrases, and I noticed Steve actually at the end of worship used two of them. I don't know, you probably weren't looking out for it. He told us to encourage one another um, and serve one another as well during his, his hosting. And they're phrases which we use. And my challenge to you this week in your life groups is, why don't you have a discussion about what they actually look like? What does it really mean to comfort one another? What does it mean to confess your sins to one another? What does that look like? And the thing about one anothering is they apply to all of us. You can't just have a, a group of one anotherers. I'm on the one anothering team. Because <laughs> it's got to be reciprocal. Otherwise, it's not one anothering. It's just oneing or something. I don't know. <laughs> And the purpose of this is to push each other on 
in our walks with God. And so we need an explosion of this across the church, a multiplication of it, proliferation. I knew I wouldn't be able to say it. Proliferation of one anothering across the church. Our focus needs not to be on our own needs, but on everyone else's. That's what it is. Genuinely concerned about your welfare. That was the phrase. Now, it may be that as you heard Beck talking, you got a little bit cautious about going into these pastoral issues with people. Because maybe it feels like you might be invading their privacy. Or you won't have the answers. If you thought that, it's because that's two of the big strongholds in our society. Privacy, my area, individual, don't need any help. So when we one another and say, is there anything I can help with? We're trying to beat down that cultural stronghold. And when we ask a question that we know we may not have the answer to, it's another cultural stronghold because we're meant to have it all sorted. There's a thing in our culture which says that we can fix stuff. Well, we can't fix everything. If our attitude is that we're genuinely concerned for one another's welfare and we want to see them equipped for works of service, built up to maturity, then we'll find that we ask anyway, even if we might tread on the edges of their privacy. And we'll ask anyway, even when we know we probably won't have all the answers. I met up with a close friend a a couple of weeks ago. And to say that they're undergoing some challenges would be a huge understatement. We met up to do something totally unrelated. But at the end of our time, or towards the end of our time together, I just felt like I needed to ask, so how are things really going? (laughs) Well, outpoured a load of stuff. Some of which they said they hadn't told anyone else up to that point. So I listened. I asked a few more general questions. Tell me a bit more about that, that kind of thing. And when they'd finished... I simply said, I don't know what to say. I've got nothing, nothing to offer you except Jesus. So can I pray for you? If you think that sounds corny, it worked because they said yes. Um, But that was genuinely all I had to offer. I had no advice, no solutions, no way forward on any of those issues that they outlined to me. But they said yes, and so we prayed. And the floodgates opened. Tears, sobbing, tissues required, snot all over the place. Why? They needed to encounter Jesus. That was it. They didn't resolve any of the problems. They left our meeting with kind of a tear-stained face and none of the problems solved. But they knew that Jesus loved them. They knew that they'd been confronted by the grace and mercy of Jesus. That's what pastoring looks like. It doesn't mean you have to fix everything. It means you have to lead people to Jesus because he's the one who fixes stuff. Now, how was it that I could even do that? It's because of the grace of God in my life. The only reason that I asked the question was because I just felt I needed to ask the question. That's called the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That's all it is. Just having your ear tuned in to what he's saying. But also, 
as Rob shared last week about the way we operate as elders, where we're there for each other and we spend time talking to each other, caring for each other, this kind of stuff on the screen, I know from that how good it is to be pastored. The only reason I can pastor others is because I'm pastored myself. And that's why I don't need to worry about my needs because they're going to be met by the people around me. And it's not just the elders, it's much broader than that. Right across this church, there are people who are interested in me. They are genuinely concerned for my welfare. So I don't really need to worry about it all that much. It gives me the capacity to be concerned for others' welfare. And that's what we need to see more of across the church. And I believe that as we do that, as we see these things, as you step out into one anothering, some of you will find that there is real grace on you, that suddenly doors open up and you have ways into people's lives. You know what that's a sign of? It's a sign that maybe you're one of these bigger pastor gifts which the church needs. Because we need pastoring across the church and we're expecting to see pastors raised up across the church as well. I just wonder if we could stand. I think Beck's going to come and join me. There's some responses needed, I think. The challenge is about building God's house. That's the overall challenge. And the challenge for us specifically with that is, are you prepared to look like that list list on the screen? Are you prepared to do that? Are you prepared to commit again to one another? And so I'm going to pray for us. And if you want to commit to that, I encourage you just to hold out your hands as a sign that you're offering yourself afresh to God in this area of one anothering, in this area of pastoring those around you, of being brothers and sisters in this family that we call Jubilee Church. Father, we thank you for the gifts that you give to the church. Oh, we're so grateful for the apostles, for the prophets, for the evangelists, for the pastors and for the teachers which you have placed among us. Those men and women who carry such anointing in you. And Father, we pray for more. We pray for growth across the church, for a multiplication of those five gifts that each of those people would reproduce others who do the same sorts of things. And Father, we pray for us in this area of one anothering. God, that you would cause us by your spirit to excel at that. That we would be superb lovers of one another. Extreme encouragers of one another. That you would make us so quick to forgive one another. That there would be such a a stirring amongst us of each other to focus on you. And so, Father, these hands which are held out in front of people now, we say take them, Lord, and use them as people commit afresh to building your house, 
would you take our small offerings and multiply it? Across the church, may people be equipped for works of service. May people grow and mature in you. Thank you.